Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za What a joy it is to sit under the preaching of God's word and just praise the Lord that he didn't leave us ignorant of his will for us in our lives. But I've spoken to us through scripture, and I'm going to ask you this morning just to turn to John 9, please. John chapter 9. Uh, we're taking a, uh, a short break from Second Chronicles. I'm going to be preaching a one-stop sermon from John chapter 9. John chapter 9, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. <clears throat> As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered him, It was not that this man or his parents, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of him who sent me, apologies, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who were with him, who had seen him before as a beggar, were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept on saying, I am the man. So they said to him, And then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his sight. So the Pharisees asked again, asked him again how he had received his sight. And he said to him, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say? about him since he has opened your eyes 
He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, is this not your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said again, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a blind man of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard, who heard him say these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we just sang, we ask now, show us Christ. Where else can we go, Lord? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. So we ask you, show us Christ in this message this morning. Open the eyes of those who are spiritually blind, Father. Do only what you can do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the questions that we will all have to grapple with at some stage in our lives is that what is the cause of suffering in our world? Why is it that the most painful, unspeakable things happen in our world? And in many instances, it happens to people who have absolutely no role in their circumstances. Take newborn, newborns born with defects, for example. 
Why are many of them born with autism and Down syndrome and blindness and brain deficiencies or heart defects? I read a story of a little girl this week in an article who was born with a half, with a heart that's cut in half. Why on earth is that the case? Listen to this article from a World Health Organization website. Globally, an estimated 8 million newborns are born with a defect every year. Nine out of every 10 born with serious defects are in low and middle income countries. The most common severe birth defects are heart defects, neural tube defects, and Down syndrome. But there are many others which can be caused by one or more genetic, infectious, or nutritional factors. These eight million lives didn't choose who their parents would be. These babies haven't lived sinful lives that would cause them to be punished this way. Not only are these babies' lives going to be different to anyone else, their parents will have to make significant adjustments and changes to their lives to meet their children's special needs. Their marriages will probably never be the same again. Did they ask to have a child born with a disability? I don't think so. So again, I ask, what causes suffering in our world? I'll answer this question later as we current in our text, but suffice it to say that it has nothing primarily to do with the world, with the reasons the world gives us. In our text this morning, the man we read about was catapulted into a life of suffering from the moment he was born. The moment he got out of his mother's womb, the script was already written. In fact, blindness, as you might have seen in our text, is a recurring theme and is repeated 10 times. So to help us navigate through our text this morning, I've divided our message this way under four headings. Firstly, the man's physical blindness and his healing, verses 1 to 12. Secondly, the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees exposed, verses 13 to 34. Thirdly, the beggar's spiritual blindness healed. And lastly, Christ as the ultimate eye specialist. Firstly then, let's consider the man's physical blindness and his healing. We read in verse 1 that the man, of this man who was born blind from birth. In today's terms, this man would have been one of the 8 million babies who are born with defects that we just heard from the Wealth Health Organization website. What would have possibly been a, a time of great joy in anticipation of his arrival? Imagine nine long months in anticipation of, of his arrival that was quite quickly turned into sudden sadness when his blindness was discovered. Not only was he born blind, but his disability would have sentenced him to a life of poverty and suffering. As we read in verse 8, that he was a beggar. Whatever hopes his parents might have had for him were shattered in an instant. Even though his parents were alive, it's quite clear by the fact that he was a beggar that his parents could not even take care of him. They couldn't meet his needs. Notice that in verse 1 we are told that Jesus saw him. 
the king of the universe, who all creation ought to bow to, noticed this blind man. He didn't do what we tempted to do. You know, you see someone lame and you just want to cross the road. You want to avoid any awkwardness that comes out of that. Not Jesus. And this is not the first time that we see in scripture with Jesus approaching the marginalized. In John chapter 5, there was a man who had been an invalid. In John chapter 5, there was a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. And we read in verse 5 of that chapter that Jesus saw him. Not only did Jesus see him, but he did something about it. He took this man out of his suffering. Now we also see in our text that Jesus didn't just see this blind man, but he did something about it. Doesn't this show you something about the compassion of Christ? We just, read, we just sang about it. Thou art all compassion. And that Jesus was also a man of action. Let me just say to you, this to you, Christian. There might be times when you're wondering to yourself, does Jesus see my suffering? Does Jesus see my financial struggles? Does Jesus know that I'm lonely and I'm going through loneliness? Does he hear my prayer for this or that? Let me encourage you in saying, Jesus sees what you're going through and will act upon it at his right time, his perfect timing. Know also that he is working. No matter what you're going through, he is working for your good. Romans 8:28 tells us. So take heart and be encouraged by this. In verse 2, the disciples of Jesus grapple with the same question that I asked at the beginning of this message. But they ask their question differently. They ask Jesus a multiple choice question. Students, you know those multiple choice questions. The hardest exam you'll ever write is a multiple choice question. The answer is there. You just can't find it, no matter what calculations you do. This multiple choice question isn't hard for Jesus. In these disciples' mind, there were only two possible reasons why this man was born blind. Either he sinned or his parents sinned. This man is being punished for someone's sin. Either his sin or his parents' sin. Let me look at verse 3. I mean... You know, one, one, one commentator just points this out. He says, notice how Jesus doesn't scold them. Jesus doesn't say, I mean, again, you guys want to ask this. Can't you see this man is right here? How can you ask such an embarrassing question? Parents, you know this with your kids. They ask you, mommy, look at that person. They can't walk properly in front of him. Jesus, look at how graciously he corrects them. By saying that it was neither he nor his parents that caused his blindness. Let me just say this as a pause. There are no such things as stupid questions when it comes to the Lord Jesus. Let me just encourage us mature Christians as well. When you're dealing with new believers and I ask these questions, meet them where they are. Just like the Lord Jesus is doing here. Jesus says, it was neither he nor his parents who caused his sins. Who caused his blindness, rather. 
Whilst it is sometimes possible to see a clear connection between one's sin and the suffering that results from that, like drunken driving that leaves you in a car accident and leaves you maim, it's quite clear. Your lameness your, is a clear result of your drunken driving. Or a parent who gambles away his family's wealth and savings and says his family is uh, you know, homeless and without clothing. It's quite clear. You can see the connection there between the, the sin and the result and effect of that. This is not always the case. We can, as a people, be quick to run for causes. An example of this, especially in African culture, is this, you know, generational curses. You can be so quick to run to this as a reason for our suffering. I know some of you, even in our church, who have been pressurized to perform certain rituals or activities to appease the ancestors whenever a mishap happens. Struggling to get a job? Well, it's because the ancestors are unhappy with you. Struggling to have children? Well, you have to slaughter a cow to appease grandmother. That's the reason many people give. We search for these causes, but it's not always the case. It could just be the reason that God gives, that the Lord Jesus gives later. Now, let me put you at ease. The dead are dead. No need to sacrifice to ancestors or anyone. The dead are dead. They're either in heaven or in hell, and they have no link with the affairs of this world, as Luke 16, 19 to 31 tells us. Back to our text, the Lord gives the reason why this man was born blind. He says in verse 3, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. What an amazing statement. 18 plus years of blindness and the implications of blindness and a life of poverty and of begging. And the reason for all of this is that the works of God might be displayed in him. And what were these works of God which were to be displayed in him? And the answer is in verse 7, how he went to wash in the pool of Salaam and came back seeing. His miraculous healing and the resultant display of the glory of God is the reason for this man's blindness. This might be hard for some of you. This might be controversial and hard for some of you to stomach. How can a, a loving, gracious God bring such suffering and pain to this innocent man all because he wants to be glorified? This is hard. It can be hard for some of you. Now, there are many ways to answer this, but we don't have the time. Suffice it to say that God, who is the potter who created us, chooses what to do with his, with his clay for his glory primarily and for their good if they're Christians. The Lord Jesus continues to say in verse 4, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. My understanding of this verse 4 is that the Lord is saying that he and his disciples are to fulfill God's mission for Jesus Christ while he is here on earth, which he terms day. Night is coming. When he will be nailed on the cross suffering and killed, and therefore unable to do this kind of work. Notice in verse 5, while Jesus was in this world, he was the light of the world. 
I hope you can see the stark contrast here. On the one hand, you have a man born blind. On the other, you have the light of the world himself who takes away this man's darkness. Living in times of, of load shedding, we know how precious light is. We know what it's like to be groping in the darkness and taking small steps so you don't knock your toe on something. We know how terribly uncomfortable and irritating it is to be in darkness. A whole industry of solar panels and batteries is thriving in our country, making millionaires and billionaires to take away the problem of darkness in our country. Isaiah 9.2 says this. You don't need to go there. It says this. It says, speaking of Jesus, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. Before Jesus came, the world was living in constant 24-7 load shedding, spiritual load shedding. Let that sink. When he came, God revealed himself through him so that we could truly know him, the father of lights. Confusion, uncertainty, a life destined for eternal darkness was rectified in the person and work of Jesus at the cross. And his life continues this day. You say, Jesus says in this text, he says, while I was in the world, I'm the light of the world. Now that he's gone, are we in darkness? Matthew 5.14 says this, you, the body of Christ, the church, are now the light of the world. Matthew 5.14, he doesn't say, be the light of the world. No, 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 no. You are the light of the world. Are you a, a dim light that just shows us blurry images? Or are you a bright light shining, pointing people to Christ? Now, as we continue in our text, notice in verse 6, an interesting process unfolds. The Lord makes mud with saliva and anoints the man's eyes. Some of you are probably thinking, how gross. Did he who calmed the stormy waters with, a vo with his voice, did he who called Lazarus back to life with the cry of his voice, need to make mud to open this man's eyes? What's going on here? Surely could have just said, eyes be opened, and they would have opened, and the man would have seen. Not only this, but after this whole process unfolds, the man needs to go to the pool of Salaam to wash his eyes. So why this strange process of healing? The answer to this is in verse 14, which says, now it was the Sabbath day when, Je when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Jesus, who could have healed this man on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, deliberately made mud as an act of working on the Sabbath. As a teaching opportunity that it is okay to do good works on the Sabbath. And the same process to expose the blindness of the Pharisees who love the law more than people. Verses 8 to 12 are absolutely astounding. 
as a further demonstration of how low this man's position was in life, he wasn't even noticed by his neighbors. And doesn't it strike you that there's no way in this text where we're told about this man's name? Yet, as I said earlier, this didn't prevent this man from being seen by the Lord. Let's now move to our second point, being the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees exposed. The spiritual blindness of the Pharisees exposed, verses 13 to 34. From these verses, we can see the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees exposed in at least three ways. Firstly, there were hypocrites who didn't love people, verses 13 to 23. Secondly, they didn't know who Jesus was, verses 16 and verse 24. And thirdly, they hardened their hearts and rejected Jesus. Verse 26 to 28. Firstly then, the Pharisees were spiritually blind because they didn't love people. Now after this debate ensues between the man and his neighbors around his identity, in verses 8 to 12, they brought this man to the Pharisees to try and navigate the situation. And notice the crisp question they asked this man in verse 15. So the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. After they learned that he did it by working on the Sabbath and making mud and putting it on his eyes, listen to what the Pharisees say in verse 16. They said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. Here is a man who's been blind for 18 plus years, for decades probably. Up until this day, he hadn't seen anything. He, hadn't, he didn't even know what his face looks like. Instead of the Pharisees rejoicing with this man, wow, you can see. They judge him and despise the very fact that this healing happened on the Sabbath. They claim to be men of God who followed his law, yet they didn't love people. So extreme was their legalism that they would rather that this man not receive his sight on the Sabbath, rather than the Sabbath be broken under their eyes. Can it be said of you that you love people? I'm not saying, I mean, you know what I mean, right? I'm not saying you are always the life of the party, but I'm just saying, can it be said of you that you love people as a child of God? That you serve, that you look for opportunities to serve? Or do you do everything at all costs to avoid people. We see their hypocrisy again, these Pharisees, with the threats they sent out, that if anyone will confess Jesus to be the, to be the Christ, he will be cast out of, synagogue, out of synagogue. Verse 22. By application then, let us ask God to give us hearts that love his people. And let us God to keep, ask God to help us to keep us from being hypocrites, from being one thing on the outside and another thing on the inside, like these Pharisees. Hypocrites will be found out. They will be found out, either on this side of eternity or on the other side. Secondly, Pharisees were blind because they didn't know who Jesus is. They didn't know who Jesus is in verse 16 and 24. The Pharisees say two explicit things about the Lord. Firstly, that he's not from God, in verse 16, and very blasphemously, in verse 24, that he is a sinner. 
A lot of you probably heard of the, of the Titanic, given the recent events of the, the explosion, implosion of that submarine. Listen to this brief expert excerpt on the, on the Titanic. The passenger liner, the Titanic, sunk on a maiden voyage from England to the United States in 1912. The Titanic was known to be the unsinkable ship, specifically designed to make long, the long journey to America with no possible chance of sinking. But one, one night, listen to this, one night, the ship crew ignored warning signs of icebergs in their path and went onward. The ship hit an iceberg and scraped the entire right side, casting the boat, causing the boat to sink and kill 1,517 people. What was the cause for this sink? The crew ignored the warnings of the iceberg on their path onward. Not only was this an expensive mistake, around 3 billion rand in shipbuilding costs in today's terms, but it was a fatal mistake. Like the ship crew, who ignored the signs on their radar, the Pharisees ignored the signs of the miracles of Jesus, and were meant, which were meant to reveal his true identity and made the mistake of calling him a sinner and that he wasn't from God. This mistake from the Pharisees is infinitely more costly than the mistake of the ship crew and infinitely more fatal than the mistake of the shipping crew. The, the mistake of the shipping crew costed people into the other life, the other side of eternity. The mistake of, the, of these Pharisees will cost you into eternal damnation. It's easy to say, oh, look at these Pharisees, what a mistake they made. But this mistake happens today, 2,000 years later. We say, oh, Jesus can't be God because he was a man. Some say Jesus can't be God because he actually didn't exist. Those are all fables. What do you say about who Jesus is today? Do you share the view of the Pharisees that he's not from God? Or do you see Jesus as a true God-man who saves sinners? Be careful not to make this fatal, expensive mistake of the Pharisees. Have the right view of Jesus. Now, after a debate between among the Pharisees regarding who Jesus was, again they turn to the man for answers. They ask him, What do you say since you opened your eyes? Notice that even the blind man doesn't get it right. He doesn't get the identity of Jesus right. The most logical conclusion for him was that Jesus was a prophet. Now, he's not entirely wrong. Jesus was the ultimate prophet, capital P. But that's not all that he is. Now, this matters. It's not enough to know something that is right about Jesus. It's not enough. It's important to know truly who Jesus is. It's not enough to just say he was a good teacher. That's not enough. That won't do. Or a good man but important to know that he is the Son of God who saves the world through his death on the cross. Lastly, the Pharisees were blind because they rejected Jesus. Verse 26 to 28. That was a very sarcastic offer, but an offer nonetheless that the healed man makes to the Pharisees in verse 27. 
He says, do you want to be his disciples? <laughs> Notice that the Pharisees arrogantly reject this offer. In verse 28, they would rather be disciples of Moses. Oh no, we'd rather be disciples of Moses rather than of Jesus. Starving, Flemish, starving. They would rather look at a picture of a cheeseburger than eat it. Thirsty, they would rather look at an ice-cold glass of water than drink it. Moses, as a prophet, was a type and a picture meant to point us to Christ. They're happy to look at that picture. Imagine I come to you, you know, you're, you're, you're tired, you're exhausted. I say, you know what, let's go to the beach, let's go to, let's go to Durban. And you say, you know what, I just need to see a picture of the beach and I'll, I'll be rested. That's what's happening here. They want, they're happy with the picture. We're happy with Moses. We don't want Jesus. Can this be said of you? When offered Christ, do you reject him for the things that can't really satisfy? Do you reject him for the things that ultimately find their true meaning and enjoyment in Christ? This healed man made an offer to the Pharisees. He said to him, do you want to be his disciples? I'll ask you the same question this morning. Do you want to be Jesus' disciple? How will your response be? Will you repent and come to him and be his disciple? Or will you reject his offer like the, like the, the Pharisees did? Let's now look at a second last point. The beggar's spiritual blindness healed. The beggar's spiritual blindness healed. Verses 35 to 38. As if being physically blind wasn't enough, this man was spiritually blind. He was twice blind. Never in his wildest expectations did he expect to see. And what would have probably been a normal day, he got up in the morning, probably put on his clothes and you know, got his cup. And he went and stood outside and started begging and asking for, for money. He didn't expect that his eyes would be, his eyesight would be restored. He didn't expect that the eyes of grace that morning would lock on him. Now this on its own, him receiving physical <laughs> sight would have been life-changing. But guess what? Not only did he receive his physical sight, Jesus meets with him and heals his spiritual blindness. This man got more than he could have ever bargained for. Look at verse 33 to 38 with me. It says, Jesus heard that they cast him out. When Jesus heard that they cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe the son of God? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped. Jesus isn't primarily concerned about our physical well-being. Jesus isn't primarily concerned about our physical well-being. 
I imagine you should go to people, go to, to people who don't know the Lord, and say, "Come to the Lord." I mean, he'll he'll give you an iPad, he'll give you a car, he'll give you cars, he'll give you a house. If I'm on the other side, I hear you say that Jesus, I'll take your Jesus. Bring him any day, I'll take him. If that's what it is, I'm going to get all my physical needs met. I'll take your Jesus. Jesus isn't primarily concerned about your well-being. Now it is true, he could meet your well-being, your, your, your physical needs, even abundantly more than you could ever imagine, but he's not primarily concerned about your well-being. He says in Mark 8.36, what does it benefit a man to gain your whole world? What does it benefit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Because of this, Jesus makes it a point to find this man again and do spiritual business with him. Because what does it benefit this man to get his physical eyesight and forfeit his soul and have both his eyes that see thrown into hell? What does it benefit this man? He finds him to heal his spiritual eyes too. Let me say this. Everyone who does not see the glory of the gospel of Christ is born blind. Everyone who does not see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ is spiritually blind. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says this. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. This was the case with this man. He was blind. He couldn't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. This is also the case with you. If you don't see Christ as the infinitely glorious Savior who takes away the sins of this world then you are blind. The God of this world, the devil, has blinded you and has left you alone. And if this spiritual cataract, this, this blindness is not solved, you will die in your sins. And this moves me to the final point of the sermon. Christ is the ultimate eye specialist. Christ is the ultimate eye specialist. Verse 39 to 41. One of our children had an eye injury on Thursday. And she was poked by one of, her one of her siblings and we had to take her to the eye specialist who restored her vision with medicine. But what this eye specialist cannot do, what this eye specialist, I learned a new word, they're called ophthalmologists. What these ophthalmologists cannot do is to bring spiritual vision to those born blind. Let me tell you this. Jesus Christ is the ultimate ophthalmologist. Difficult word. This man, this blind man, this spiritually blind man, and us here who are spiritually blind need the super eye specialist, the Lord Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 39. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. This is confusing. How can those who see become blind? What is the Lord saying here? The invitation this morning is for all those who see themselves as spiritually blind. 
and in need of a doctor to come and be healed. You might say, my case of spiritual blindness is too severe. He can't heal me. If only you knew the things I've done. If only you knew the things I've said. Let me tell you this. Jesus has a 100% success rate with restoring spiritual vision. Those who he has healed will never go blind again. You see, it's no coincidence that the pool of Salaam in verse 7 means sent. If you look at verse 7, the pool of Salaam means sent. It is only the sent one of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who can remove our spiritual eyes, our spiritual blindness, rather. There is a warning, however. There is a stark warning here that those who see will become blind. What's the Lord saying? The warning is this. If you would respond like the Pharisees who say in verse 40, they say, are we blind? You see, these Pharisees, even though spiritually blind, didn't see themselves as blind and are liable to judgment because their guilt remains. Oh, pity the one who is blind but doesn't see his blindness and forfeit his opportunity of being saved by the eye specialist? Don't be that way. Don't say, I see. I have it all figured out. I don't need a savior. You'll miss out on an opportunity to be healed by the best spiritual ophthalmologist in the world. Get the right prognosis of yourself. Now, I asked a question at the beginning of this message. I said, why is there so much suffering in our world? The answer is this. It is not always, it is not primarily that we sinned or our parents sinned, but always because our first parents sinned, Adam and Eve. And with that came the fall. The most painful sufferings in our world children being born blind but the more perhaps the most painful suffering is the spiritual blindness that we get because our first parents sinned praise the lord however that there is a willing and able eye specialist jesus christ who can heal us and how does he do this how does he heal us He says to the blind man, you have seen him. The son of God. Do you believe in the, in, in the son of God? He says, you have seen him. See Jesus for all that he is. And how did he do it? He did it by going through darkness himself. Nailed and beaten on the cross. Treated as one who was spiritually blind, even though he wasn't blind. So that we might see Oh, what a, what a wonderful hymn we sing. Amazing grace, how sweet that sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm fine. Was blind, but now I see. He was treated as though spiritually blind in order that we might see. Oh, that we would see him just like the blind man saw him and worshipped him. Let's pray.
Oh, Father, do what only you can do. Restore spiritual sight to the blind this morning. Oh, Lord Jesus, we're so amazed. We want to worship you just like this blind man did. You went through darkness. You were treated as we were the one who was spiritually blind. You were treated as though you were the one who had sinned on that bloody cross in order that we might see. If there's anyone here who does not see you as you are, Lord, open his eyes to see you are right. We ask this in your name. Amen.